Planets Live, episode 12. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. A bit tired, uh, but not too bad. What about you? I'm very good. Why don't you tell the listeners why you're tired? So I had to wake up at 7. Well, actually, I woke up at 8 to get to the exam at 9, which I was a slightly late. Um, It was freezing outside, so I didn't think that I have to sit in the car and wait for it to defrost for like 10 minutes. Um, Other than that, so a friend of mine arrived there and he called me and I was just changing and I'm like, great. Um, so I got ready. I left three hour exam finished around like one twelve, actually twelve thirty. Then yeah, pretty much came back and now we're doing this. Is there any reason why you woke up an hour and 15 minutes before your exam? Um, not really. It's just the concept is to rest more because it's an exam at nine and the concept is the later you leave the earlier you'll get there. Now, hear me out on this, right? No. (laughs) Because you're travelling from North London to West London, so I don't understand this concept. But hear me out. The highway I go on, A406, which goes basically from North London to West London, which I have to take, um, Around 7, if you were to leave at like 7.30, which is an ideal time for someone who travels from North London to West London and they've got like an exam at like 9.30, that's an ideal time to leave, 7.30. The problem is that's peak, that's the peak hour. So the rush hour is the exact time is like around 7, 7.30. So you're in so much traffic. Whereas if you just leave 30 minutes before that, 35 minutes before that. So even after that, if you leave at like 8.20, for example, yes, it's only 40 minutes before your exam, but you will get there in 25 minutes rather than being in traffic for an hour. I think you should have followed the advice of our mutual friend and got there like an hour before. And then you could have, you would have been there all safe, all sound, ready to go. But also you could have that period to stress, which is just great, you know? Yeah, but see, that's the thing that I don't stress. I'll just get bored. And will that boredom affect your exam performance? I think it would because the the longer I stay, it's like I'm just bored and I want to do something. So when I go in, I just want to finish it and leave. Whereas if I just get in, I'm like, okay, I have to go down. Like the first 10 minutes, I just have to settle down. And I'm like... Okay, now I have time to actually do do this. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if I just if I'm bored beforehand, I'm just gonna want to finish as soon as possible. You were telling me before we started recording about your amazing strategy of when you finish an exam, not double checking anything. I never double check. Never in my life have double checked my answers. Why why is that? Why do I doubt my answers? What happens if you start getting bored in the exam room, you're thinking of something else and you write down the wrong number and that messes up your whole equation. If you had double checked, you could have gone back, found Mm -hmm. the mistake and then got the extra marks. Well, hear me out, right? The exam is important. You've had 14, 15 weeks all year, depending on whatever exam you're doing to prepare for it. And you already knew in advance that that is a three hour, two hour, one hour exam. 
you're sitting in, you had all year to prepare for it. If, if you can't dedicate your mind for that one hour to a point where you are going to make these silly mistakes of, I don't know, accidentally putting a plus instead of minus or a different number. If you're going to make those silly mistakes, that just shows you can't focus and then you don't deserve to get those marks. I don't believe I'd make those mistakes. I think if I make those mistakes, I deserve to not get the mark because I've prepared for it. I'm ready. I'm calm. I'm not stressed. If I'm stressed, yes, I double check. I never stressed. So I don't deserve the mark if I'm if I make a mistake because I'm stressed. Are you clinically proven not to stress? Is this like Prince Andrew who can't sweat and therefore he wasn't on that photo with Virginia Jeffrey, I believe <laughs> in Epstein's Island because, well, firstly, he was never upstairs and secondly, he can't sweat. So he can't be the man in the photo because he was never sweating. So you never stress and therefore you never have to double check your answers. Is that what you're saying? Is it a medical condition? Well, probably not. But literally today after the exam, I was talking to some of my classmates about this. Like one of the girls said, and one of the guys said, how come? you came in last and you left first and i'm like and then one of them asked me oh you got a really good grade in the uh, in class this a few weeks ago you need to tell me the way you you revise like what's your strategy and i'm like my strategy is to firstly not care about it secondly leave it until three days before now the reason for that is the more you care about it the more stressed you are and the more you push it basically the more you push it the more stressed you are the more you expect the more you're gonna fuck up whereas if you firstly if you don't let it get to you like why would it get to me why would i stress on it like there's there's nothing to stress about and then you just leave it and then you just do it like i'm like sitting there 10 minutes before deadline relax having a coffee or everyone else is just rushing running i'm just sitting there i'm like yeah there bang submit it like that's it there's no stress and that way it's just like i don't know it's just i think it's easier do you know well yeah i think like always there has to be a balance i i think that yes you should prepare more than three days especially you've just said let's say in your example you had 15 months and you're now saying okay yeah but we're only going to start three days before um but at the same time i mean in general yeah, you probably would get much more stress if you're consumed by, you know, doing the revision itself. But listen, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. <laughs> That's true. And one of the things I have is I always assume the absolute worst and I always really get comfortable with the absolute worst. Now, this is coming from someone who's had combat sports fights and they if i were to stress that would have that probably would have been the place do you know what i'm saying like if i were to be nervous if i were to be shaky it probably would be before a fight in the changing room true not before an exam now even then i'm not stressed like i'm so calm at the back like i don't know if you've seen me at the back warming up or stuff like that but i'm really calm like i was talking to you guys like three hours before my fight i think it's the um I think it's just that's just the adrenaline though of you know getting ready and moving about and so you don't really feel it because you've got in a way you've got your heart rate rate up anyway it's, don't that's you? my point though i don't i'm just there chilling my heart rate is probably like 45 
Like, it really doesn't get to me. Anyway, what the fuck are we talking about? Well, the point is... (laughs) (laughs) The point is not stressing. Now, hear me out on the not stressing part. If you always get very comfortable with the absolute worst case scenario, it's actually not that bad. Think about it. What is the worst case scenario of you going into a boxing fight? You will probably get knocked out with two broken bones. You die. It's actually not that bad. Yeah, I mean, you, you, that can happen. <laughs> but let's be real. Like, worst case scenario for your skill sets. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't is... believe with my skill set you could put me in against anyone that can kill me. But obviously, you I'm land with a heavyweight. You land in a dodgy way and you snap your neck and die. Well, that's what I'm saying. I believe in my skill set. There's no such a thing as me landing in a dodgy way. Do you know what I mean? But then again, it is a possibility. Speaking of being stressed, do you think either Anthony Joshua or Francis Ngannou are going to be feeling stressed on the 8th of March 2024? That's a great question. And I think the stress here is on AJ because it's another all or nothing for him. Um. If he loses this fight, he's done. If it's a they close fight, that... he's probably done. They say that every time. That is true. And that by true. they, I mean, I include you in the they. I just mean the the narrative that every mm-hmm. time now, if he goes into a fight, he's done. Well, the concept is, if you, if you say you're the best at, in this case, boxing... And you go out there and you lose to someone who's not even ranked top 10. Are you really in this sport? Are you really an elite fighter? No, it's, it's a sad reality. But especially with someone who's already made their living, who already made millions and millions of dollars and pounds, like probably his net worth is above 50 million pounds. Uh, and I've heard he's getting somewhere around that price for this fight anyway, um, which is crazy. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think this is going to be a problematic fight for AJ. I think he can get through Ngannou pretty quickly. Well, let's let's properly introduce it. So I think we're recording this on Tuesday like usual. And on Monday, it was announced that Anthony Joshua will be fighting Francis Ngannou on the 8th of March. I think that, I don't know about you, but I feel really excited about this one. Especially mm-hmm. after seeing Ngannou's last fight. And, okay, AJ's going to go in as the favourite, naturally. Um, He has the boxing pedigree, the background. But could see an upset. I mean, after what Ngani did to Fury, we talked about it on our first ever episode. Fury, mm, did he really deserve to win that one? I'm not too sure. No. Um, But that just means that this is a really exciting, really exciting fight. Ngani has nothing to lose, by the way. He's, yeah. He can sort of come come into this unscathed, unless he gets humiliated, but I don't see that happening. Um, and for Joshua, it could be a great comeback. If he if he beats Ngannou, then does he not have the opportunity for a title fight? The winner of Fury Usyk, you know? Does he not have the opportunity there? So, really exciting fight, I feel. Agreed. Well, that's the whole concept behind it, right? The whole concept behind it is if Anthony Joshua beats Fury, uh, sorry, if Anthony Joshua beats Ngannou, then now is the time for the title fight again. However, that's a tricky situation for him because if it's a case where Usyk beats Fury, 
let alone do remember they have a rematch clause anyway but let's say after their second fight if the winner let's say stole Usyk does Anthony Joshua really want to fight Usyk again when he already got beat twice uh it's just a case of that for AJ I think with the Fury Joshua fight that would be a massive fight if Fury were to beat Usyk that fight, Wembley 2025, that would be gigantic. That would probably be the biggest fight in the history of UK. Oh, I mean, everyone's been calling for it for years, haven't they? And we thought exactly. we passed that time. But now, I mean, now that AJ, in a way, has has sort of got his form back, so to speak, maybe perhaps not in the same way that he used to, um, but he is racking up those wins. Now it's like, oh, it, it is a possibility again. And that's really exciting. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a case where he goes... I think with Ngannou fight, it will be really easy for Anthony Joshua. I really do not see Francis Ngannou having any threat for AJ. I really don't think he's going to touch him. I, I think it's... But then again, that's what I said for Fury, didn't I? Well, can you break down why you think that? So I guess, can you explain what, what's the difference very broadly between the way that Anthony Joshua boxes and the way that Tyson Fury boxes and why it might be easier for Joshua to beat Ngannou than it was for Fury to beat him. Well, Tyson Fury has always been the point boxer. By point boxer, I mean not the ne- not the type of fighter that will necessarily come in to knock you out. The type of fighter who will jab your head off for all 12 rounds, stick and move, hit you with small shots, hit you with small shots, get the points and win on points. Yes, he has got two, three knockout wins on his last three, four fights, but that's because the opponents he faced were really not that good. Wilder was really good, but he's only good for his power. Like, you can't really box for shit. Um, So I think with uh, Fury, it was a case of, oh, once again, I'm going to go through this man. Nope, you hit a brick wall. Francis Ngannou, MMA champion of the world. You're not fighting an easy, easy opponent here. So I think it was a case of Fury trying to stick to a style that's actually not his style which is going in fighting like slugging out that's not him he's there jabbing you outpointing you that's him whereas with AJ it's a case where he goes in sits down on his shots land two three clean shots on the chin puts the guy down yes once again AJ did have that period where he didn't do that if you remember that was from the second Andy Ruiz fight onwards which we actually watched that together as well we did Um, yeah he went through that period where he wasn't really that knockout artist everyone talk about. But AJ has that technique. Everything is textbook. Everything's powerful and strong. And he's going for the knockout. He's not a type of like, oh, let me go outpoint this guy. He's always building up for a knockout. And based on what I saw from Francis Ngannou, he's very hittable. He's not like this guy who's hard to hit, who's like moving around. He's just like standing in front of you, waiting to land his shot. He's very hittable. Once again, though, Anthony Joshua can't take a shot as well as Tyson Fury. But I think I think it'll be a case where, if I were to predict it, obviously it's too soon, and I'll assume we'll talk about it more when, when it's closer to the date. I would say Joshua by round two stoppage. Stoppage? Yeah, yeah, knockout, easy. Really? You think he's going to knock Francis Ngannou out? Yeah, in one or two rounds. I don't think it will go more than that. When was the last time the... That he got a, a knockout in um, in one of his fights. Well, all his last three fights were knockouts. The last fight he did was against Otto Willen, who basically didn't knock him out cold, but uh, he quit in round six. Okay, the yeah. Before that was Illinois, which he knocked him out cold in round nine. 
Yeah. And the one before that, I don't remember exactly who it was, but it was a knockout victory for him. Well, you have completely put my knowledge to shame. I can't see that happening two rounds in against Ngani. Didn't mm. he last? He lasted 10 rounds against Fiorino. Or 12. He He's durable. Was it 12 oh. or was it 10? 10 rounds. It was exhibition. You're right. Yeah. So, oh, I don't know. I can't see that happen. If it, if he brought Fury to 10 rounds and arguably won it, AJ mm. knocking him out in two rounds? I don't know. I mean, you could only you could only guess the amount of confidence he got after that fight. Now he knows he can do it. That's what he said as well. He said, before this, I didn't know if I could do it. Now I know I can do this. Um, yeah, you need to factor that in, don't you? And exactly. clearly, I think he's going to go into this fight a stronger fighter because of that. And obviously, you are against someone who is also on his own streak. Um, and so... You have to balance those two those two sides, but I just think, and that's why actually this one's so compelling. But I don't know how to call this again. But I I don't feel I don't feel he's going to knock him out in two rounds, Joshua. And I also don't feel like his career would be over mm. if if he loses this. I do feel that his chances of a title would be over, but. Yeah his career no and perhaps okay that might be the most important thing to him right that opportunity to get the title again and so if that's gone okay then maybe he feels his career is over um but i, I wouldn't see any shame in losing to Inganu, who i mean physically this guy is just incredible to look at right and even in the ring i mean he's a monster the way that he can just take those hits so it's going to be a tough one i think yeah well once again, a mutual friend of ours said he thinks that Ngannou is going to knock Anthony Anthony Joshua out. And see, that's what the narrative, I think, is going to be. I think the narrative is going to be, oh, Ngannou just arguably beat Fury. AJ's not been great recently. Yes, he just won three fights against average heavyweights. But Ngannou is coming to kill him. I think that's going to be the narrative. But I, I really don't see it. But then again, though, I said that for the Fury fight and... I was that shocked. So, if Ngannou wins, does he, by definition, then have a chance at the title? If Ngannou wins, he will be in. He won't be entitled to a title fight because it's not a mandatory challenge. Like it's not a mandatory belt. A mandatory belt means if two fighters fight for an interim championship or a mandatory belt and you win the interim championship, you would become my mandatory challenges, challenger. Yeah. So for whatever belt organization that is, for my next fight as a champion, I'll either have to defend that belt against you, or I'll have to give you that belt and fight whoever I want with the other belts. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is no interim fight. So no, they won't be... There is a belt on the line, but it's more so just for looks. Like, it's no official belt. It's got the undisputed has a situation ever happened where someone has come in from a different combat sport and then had the opportunity in boxing to have a title fight and then even go on to win that main title? Has that ever happened before or not? Never has happened in boxing. No, I mean, the closest there was, was I'd say probably, this is as far as I know, there probably is some cases that are, that oh, are there. You, before you say, are you going to say Deji versus Mayweather? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I was going to say McGregor versus Mayweather, but then again, that wasn't for an official belt. That was just for another that was, um belt. Yeah, that was an exhibition, wasn't it? it yeah. This one... This one's not an exhibition, the Joshua Ngannou. No, so this is not an exhibition. So, But oh. if Ngannou were to win, because Joshua is on paper next in line for championship, he has the name, he has the selling point, he got the uh, wins right now, so he would be next in line for a championship. If Ngannou were to beat him, I'm sure if Fury, wants, if Fury wins, he'd wants that rematch against Ngannou. And if Usyk wins, he wants that big money fight against Ngannou. There's so many different narratives here. I'm just wondering, mm. we spoke about, last time we spoke about Ngannou, we talked about how he wanted to balance MMA and boxing. If he wins this, where does that sort of leave his career priorities, do you think? Do you think he's now going to just purely focus on boxing because he's going to be a big name in that sport? Or do you think he's still going to balance that MMA also? Well, you really have to take his goal into consideration. The only reason he left the UFC in the first place was for money. He was getting 1 million tops per fight and he did one boxing fight. He got 10 million, which was more than his entire career earning in UFC. Yeah. And he's getting, I've heard from reports, at least 15, 20 million from the Anthony Joshua fight. So his whole idea to box was for money. Now, yes, he did say, I will also do MMA, but I think he also said that if he were to have no success in boxing, like if he were to do one boxing fight, get absolutely knocked out cold and come back do his MMA, because that's what he's best at. But I think if it's a case where, firstly, because of his age, he's towards the rare end of his career anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's if he wins this fight, maybe one fight for the undisputed championship of heavyweight, which is crazy to say, three fights in, by the way. I know. Uh, and that's it, maybe, because yeah, but I don't see it go more than that. He was just so impressive in his debut in his debut fight that, Great. yes, it is crazy that it is a possibility three fights in, but if you're doing that against Tyson Fury, I mean, it, it is not so crazy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did he, where did he sign on to when he left the UFC? So he signed with PFL, which is another organization for uh, MMA, and they've recently got merged with Bellator, which is once again another organization for MMA. Oh, okay. And so my understanding was that he signed that deal, like you said, for money, but also to have that freedom to then do the boxing. So it does feel like his priority is, well, on those two things, money and boxing. And they are intertwined because you get more money from boxing anyway. Do you know one of the things I love about his MMA deal he signed? Go on. Any opponent who faces me must get at least guaranteed payment of $1 million. That's really good. I bet people are signing up to face him then. Because like in PFL, like you wouldn't probably get more than 50k, 100k to fight. Okay. Because who can you name from PFL? I can't. I don't have have a clue. Exact same. I'm a biggest fan of MMA and I can't name anyone. Where do they... Where do they show those fights? It's same, same as pay-per-views, uh, fight nights. Well, with PF, with one championship, which once again is another organization, they do it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, but with PFL and Bellator, it's just like UFC. It's like pay-per-views you have to buy, which no one does get them. Do you know what I mean? It's like no one knows them. So it's like yeah. that really was not good for his MMA career. If we were to go and say, I'm the greatest heavyweight of all time, you really cannot prove that unless you're in the UFC. Because I you're mean, not facing anyone. You're facing tomato cans. Fighting fighting Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury in 
within, I believe, a six month period, mm -hmm. the exposure that that gives you, and I'm just going to make an assumption and say that boxing is a is a more exposed sport than MMA in terms of the public knowledge, probably perhaps more people would then know him as a boxer than an MMA mm -hmm. fighter as a consequence of these two fights. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Because look, at the end of the day, he didn't really get to prove himself in MMA. Yes, he knocked out the greatest heavyweight fighter of all time, which is Stipe Miocic. But he also lost to Stipe Miocic and he didn't fight John Jones. So it's a case of he didn't really get to prove his legacy in MMA. He's still a great MMA fighter. And I'm sure if he comes back, not many people would beat him. But uh, I think it's just a case where if he can... Ha Look, it's a safer sport. Actually, boxing is more dangerous. But in terms of what he thinks, it's probably a safer sport. You don't have to worry about your legs getting chopped. You don't have to worry about your arms getting snapped in half. You're getting choked out. You're fighting with bigger gloves. If he can, if he can handle that and keep in mind, this is what's crazy to me. Two fights in, you've already fought the best. It's going to get easier. It's not a case of, oh, you, it's getting harder as you go on. It's just going to get easier if you stick to it. Do you know like, what I mean? Where do you go from there? It, it's exactly. crazy to just reach the peak that quickly. But crazy. the people like him. That's why the people like his narrative. I think in general, the people that we've spoken to ourselves, I think we like him. And that is why he's had that opportunity to go to the top straight away. And that is why they're very happy to say, okay, you can fill this slot against Anthony Joshua in March this year. Okay, you've only started, you know, within six months ago, but you're a big enough name. You're a big enough draw that we can allow this to happen. So it's fascinating to watch this guy's rise. And I think this fight is going to be fascinating, exhilarating in itself. I can't wait to watch it. We've also got the Tyson Fury and Usyk one in February as well. So it's a really strong period at the moment in terms of boxing. It's a really, really exciting Especially time. Heavyweight boxing, agreed. Yeah, boxing's doing really, really good as of right now. It's, I, that's, I think that's the close. I actually no, I think the Fury and Garnu fight is not going to be. Uh, sorry, a Joshua and Garnu fight is not going to be close. Once again, that might change depending on the, when I see their preparation and etc. But I think the Fury Usyk fight is. Even that, I don't think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a one-sided dominant victory for Alexander Rusik. I will go out on a limb and say that I agree with you when you say it's not going to be close in Garnu and Joshua. My issue is I can't call for who. Do you know what mm, I mean? I get you. There yeah. could be the case, which you were arguing earlier, where Joshua decimates him, second round. But you could also see the case where Ngannou decimates him because we haven't seen enough of him in the boxing ring. We really don't know how it's going to go. And yeah. that is, that's partly why it's so exciting. And on the Fury Usyk one, um, that one, I have no clue that one. I'm just going in blind. I'm obviously I'm going to back Fury. He's got that unbeaten record. He's British. You know, we want him to win. Um, mm. He is one of the goats of the sport, but I don't know how it's going to play out. That's true. That's true. That's a good fight, though. And I also like to mention, this is just a shout out, by the way. Uh, I also really like to mention uh, Francis Ngannou's background and where he came from. Uh, to achieve what he achieved, knowing where he came from and knowing his background, it's just remarkable. I mean, 
he used to work at like six years of age. He used to go shop sand at like sand, at like mines. He used to, you know, work really really hard. He used to not have an actual place to live. Um, well, yeah. So, so speak a little little bit about, yeah. Where where did Francis Ngannou come from? What has he been through, and why is it so remarkable that he has gotten to where he has gotten to? Well, I think, well. That's my opinion. Let me actually say the actual thing. So he's from Cameroon. He was born there and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, he had a really tough childhood, not in terms of like family or stuff like that, in terms of, you know, well, living situation may not be ideal at a time in Cameroon. I don't know about now. Um, so he always had that tough childhood. He couldn't really do much. He couldn't really... There was nothing to do. He just had to work. That was his whole living, just working. Uh, not working in like, I'm going to walk to my office. I'm going to come back from my office when I go get a Starbucks. Like, no. Like, you're working in like a desert. You're working, you're shoving sand at like six years of age. And th- that's hard, obviously. That's hard work. Um, after years, he had to leave the country. He went to France and he tried to leave France many, many times. He was fa- he failed it. He almost died underway multiple times. Uh and it was there where he discovered a boxing gym, actually. And in that boxing gym, he did one or two amateur boxing fights. Um, he wanted to be a boxer, essentially. He didn't really want to be an MMA fighter. But then this freakish power all of a sudden was discovered that, oh, oh this guy can hit you and you'll just die. Um And then he just ended up meeting the right people at the right time, getting into MMA get into where he is now so he has all the right to demand the most money I'd, I'd i'd say he has he earned he earned the money the only issue with what the ufc was saying was okay you have all the rights to say that are you as big of a name to sell that which at yeah. the time he wasn't you need to so what they were saying was okay you have the right to say this but you need to prove it and perhaps he couldn't prove it is that what you're trying to say well, uh, it was a case of he just wasn't getting what he wanted. He wanted the ability to box. Yeah. The UFC was saying, okay, you're not a big enough star, which to be fair, at a time, he wasn't a big enough star. The UFC was trying to put together the John Jones fight, which would have been probably the greatest fight in the history of UFC. That is such a shame then. So one of the greatest potential fights that ever could happen in MMA. And we won't see it because of a division. That's true. Yeah, that's exactly true. Um, fair play to Saudi Arabia for putting all these fights together, though. I mean, they're doing great. Well, speaking of Saudi Arabia, there's something we did want to talk about. I mean, I don't know how much detail we can get into because it's quite a big thing. But it seems like Saudi Arabia have got money growing on trees because, well, let's just get into it. The line. You heard of this? Of course. Basically, this is ambitious. What the line aims to do, it's located in Neom, Saudi Arabia. It aims to condense a population of 9 million people over 170 kilometers through desert. Is it from, I believe it's from ocean to ocean. Yeah. Condense a city where you don't have width, but rather length. And, okay, so 170 kilometers long, 500 meters high. 
the ambition here is to create a more eco-friendly carbon neutral city of the future i don't know how much this thing is going to cost to build to create to run but it is something taken straight out of a science fiction film and when you first broached the subject to me about talking about this i was thinking well it's got to be a proposition it can't be something they're serious about but if you go on the line if you just google the line or i think you just google neom saudi arabia they are deadly serious about this they have so many different proposals they have so many different explainers on how the city is going to work this is something that is most likely going to happen during our lifetime. Again, I don't know how much it would cost to construct this. I am probably going to go out on a limb and say extortionate prices. I mean, Give me a guess, because I know the number. You know the number? Yeah. A trillion dollars? Nah, uh, yeah, almost. Close. Higher or lower? Lower, lower. 500 billion that's exactly it it's estimated at 500 billion dollars to build this to build this yeah 170 kilometers long a city yeah yeah 500 billion dollars it's crazy yeah you'd expect it to be more but they're doing that 500 billion dollars it's crazy yeah so basically the aim of this is to create a city of the future which can accommodate 9 million people. So that is roughly the size of what London is now. So it would be a mega city. And the aim is that it runs off 100% renewable energy. And so you're not leaving a carbon footprint. And the way that they can achieve that is by not having any cars or roads, for example. It's sort of why it is designed in the way that it is. They do also plan to have high-speed rail 20 minutes from one end to the other 170 kilometers which again i don't understand how that works but i mean yeah train. this is why this project there there are so many little intricacies and so many little details that you need to get into that we can only really broach it very broadly and discuss i guess we can discuss do we think this is going to happen is it not insanely ambitious it has already started. They're going to have people living in it from next year. How much have they constructed so far? I don't exactly know how much is built, but it's ready to a point, I think, less than... It's ready to accommodate less than uh, 50,000 people as of right now, as far as I know. But they're not ready to let people come in. Like By the end of next year or mid-next year, they can have actually people living in the bits they've built. I mean, I can see the appeal of wanting to live there, right? It's it's mm-hmm. a city of the future. It's supposedly carbon neutral. And because it's a city of the future, I guess it can be quite exciting for a lot of people because they might feel, well, not only would there be a lot of job opportunities, for example, but they might feel that they are taking that leap into the future. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it feels very isolated and i know that's just the way that it's designed it's it's not got that much width good i don't know i mean 
170 kilometers long. The aim is that you're two minutes walk within nature. But mm -hmm. what constitutes nature? That what's the small print? Is nature one tree, for example? Mm, that's a good point. I don't know. It just for me, I understand that it's efficient, and that's a good thing. And through having these efficient cities, such as the line, it's an ambitious project out of the future that you allow the surrounding natural wildlife to thrive. There is more space for nature to thrive. At the same time, though, it does feel very isolating. And I don't understand how you can put 500 billion into this project. Where is your profitability? How do you make that money back? How do you where it what is the what is the air conditioning cost for something like this? It's in a desert, is it not? Mm, yeah. What happens if that fails? You've got nine million people living within there. Well, it's all it's not just air conditioning, it's all it's, it's sort of like a cycle. It's like fake rains, fake this, fake that. They're gonna have their own sort of climates within there. It does it's not just air conditioning in there. Um just to just to compare it to some buildings, because you mentioned 170 kilometers long, 500 meters tall. Now, how tall do you think the Big Ben is? How tall is Big Ben? I would say 170 meters. Okay. How tall do you think the Shard is? The Shard, I would say 340. So Big Ben is 96 meters tall. The oh, Shard wow. is 310 meters tall. So pretty close on that. Now, this is going to be 500 meters tall. Can you imagine that? Just think. 500 meters tall, one straight line. It's going to be... It, do you know what it reminds me of? I'm, I've got, I'm going to say what's in my head right now, and that's Silo. It's, yes. Yes. That, that actually... I, I wasn't thinking of that, but that... I get what you mean. I get, Literally, I get exactly that's what, what I'm thinking. What because if it's 500 meters tall, I mean, how many floors are you going to have, for example? How well, how, how dense many floors the, does the shard have? I'm I'm not sure, but how dense is this is this structure? 500 meters tall. Would that not go up to the clouds or above the clouds? Oh, it would go above. It would go above. So the shard is 72 stories, by the way. 72 floors. So with we're looking at here over a hundred floors. Over over a hundred floors, hundred and seventy yeah. kilometers long. That is crazy. That that is just insane. Uh the bit I was thinking about as well was um Game of Thrones, the wall. That's also very true. Yeah, yeah I can see that. That's what it reminded me of. Like I could just do you know what's crazy to me? It's not like you're putting this in the middle of like an a place that's already a city it's not like you're putting this in like this dense area this highly populated or no you're putting it in the middle of desert as you mentioned it's like imagine going there and i know all of a sudden it's, see this a massive straight line that was 500 meters or almost double the shot like surely you've been at the bottom of the shot and you looked up and like that's crazy high but that's okay in london i think it is so yes it is in the middle of neom saudi arabia which is desert area but there is a strategic decision behind that and that is that 40 percent of the world is accessible within six hours flight from that position it's right next to the red sea and with the red sea you have the nile river where according to their website 13 percent of global trade 
goes through the Nile River. So it is mm-hmm. it is in a strategic position, sort of, I guess you could say, in a way, the epicenter of the world, right? And so it yeah. makes sense in that regard. But I mean, well, it would be nice if you're on the 170 kilometer side that's close to the Red Sea. If you're on the other side where fuck knows where that goes, maybe it just stops in the middle of a desert, then perhaps you don't want to be living on that side. Um, I wonder... I wonder, you know, in terms of like property there, is there mm-hmm. going to be a hierarchical structure as in someone can go and buy a penthouse, but someone could also live at the bottom in like a, like in a London size flat, which is one room. Is there going to be, you know, what, what's the real estate like within the line? Do you have any idea on that? Well, to assume there's 170 kilometers and it's going to be accommodating 9 million people. You also have to consider the shops, the entertainment, all of this. Um, and they're going to take space within this 170 kilometers. So the space is limited. For as long as it is, it's limited um, for 9 million people. Now, obviously, I think, yes, as he said, it's going to have this elements of different levels, let's say, perhaps. Because you have rich people and you have rich people within the rich people. Uh, so I think it's also going to have a part which is just for people who are visiting, so not necessarily for people who are living in it. So you also have to assume, like, the number's not going to be 9 million. It probably goes up to, like, 15 million, 10 million, just c- including the people who come and visit. Yeah. Um, Or travellers. I think, as you said, there is going to... 100% there's going to be difference in terms of... Obviously, it's not going to look the same. Um. But I think it'll be section based. I think it'll be like section A, section B, section three, and it's just it gets uh, more expensive as you go up. And we sort of touched on this before when you said that it will have a self self contained climate. And so, as far as I understand, the whole thing is pretty much going to be run by AI, even in terms of the way that it's governed. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I guess. One of the things I'm thinking just in terms of human nature is it's a real, really utopian idea in terms of that it wants to be carbon neutral, that it wants to create all these jobs. And it might start off as a really level playing field, right? Let's just say it starts mm. starts off fitting the mold of that utopian idea. But just the way that human nature is, can you not see that start to unravel? where there might be, you know, crime might be a thing within this living space, for example, where there is, you know, those social barriers because of, well, you could see gentrification happening here, for example, because of property Mm. prices. You can see all the human problems that happen in real cities coming straight to here. Even though it has those utopian ideas, there are no cars, for example, it's carbon neutral, it's all self-contained, but... Just because it's self-contained, you still have that human problem. And at the end of the day, you've got to populate it with 9 million people, which also, how are they going to do that? How are you going to attract 9 million people to upend their lives and move there? What's your incentive? I think it's... I, I think it's that that's not going to be the issue. I personally, if it's fully built, I'd be the first person moving in there. Really? Yeah, I think, well, you don't have to necessarily live there forever. You have to assume if you're taking money from England, if you're taking money from America, you're taking 
British pound, you're taking uh, American USD. It's going to turn into so much of their currency. And you can, for like what you have to pay as like an upfront payment before you get a mortgage here, you could probably get two flats there, mortgage free. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think it's a place where if it's as advertised, if it looks as advertised, if it's if it feels as advertised, because as as you mentioned earlier, for people who actually want to know what we're talking about, if you literally just search up me on the line, it will come up. It'll just give you that sci-fi movie, uh, you know, like, hmm, let me give you an example. An example of it would be uh, The Passengers. Now, yeah. in The Passengers, spoiler alert, if people haven't seen it, at the very end, there's a bit where when they go into that, what do you even call it? Well, they they exit like their cryo chamber, don't they? Or yeah, no, I meant the place they're in. Are they have they already landed at that point? No, they're they're on the spaceship. Okay, okay. So at the end, where everyone wakes up, they wake up to this very futuristic looking spaceship. Whilst it has all these trees around, it has everything, and that's because there was a person there just planting all these trees and everything. Yeah. If it's going to be like that, I personally feel I have to experience it in my lifetime. Not necessarily moving there permanently, but I think it would be something I'd really be open to. Which like, is... Like, there for a year at least. That is a fear I have about it, though, that it can, it can seem a novelty in the sense that, like you, people will go, I have to experience it. And so they go there for tourism. And that's mm. quite... That leads to another question, which is... Why is Saudi Arabia doing this in the first place? Well, Saudi Arabia, a lot of their income and their GDP is from oil. And we know that oil is, it it does not last forever, right? So you need to diversify the money that you bring into your country. And they've done Mm -hmm. that, of course, through sports. But they're also now doing it through the line. And that will bring money in through tourism, for example. And also yeah, just naturally increasing your population so more money is spent in your country. That's right. Maybe, perhaps it is just too big to fail. It's remarkable that you've said that it's 500 billion to build because I'm just thinking of infrastructure projects in the UK, for example, where I think the HS2 train line, which is just one train line, 50 to 100 billion pounds, but this is meant to be 500 billion that is it just seems too much it just seems too efficient do you know what i mean yeah yeah exactly exactly well that's how they do it though they pay all this see him yeah they pay all this great money to all these great engineers all these people from around the world the best ones basically to do it in the best possible way and the safest possible way and everything that's how they do it so yeah so i guess the there is an efficiency there right is what you're saying they've got yeah, the best yeah. people there and they're not they're not messing around at all they want this thing to succeed but at the same time i'm thinking about it 500 billion dollars is probably not a ridiculous amount of money for the saudi government to spend like they have that money floating around to spend on large infrastructure projects like this and in that sense they can take that risk I do, mm-hmm. by the way, I want to see this succeed. I'm just very skeptical about it because it seems such a big leap into the future. 
But I am also in the camp of where you are, where I would love to visit it once it's finished and once it's up and running. I, I think a lot of people are going to feel that way. It, it's sort of going to be that destination to visit mm. because I, the aim is to create a city where, you know, within five to 20 minutes, you have everything accessible to you. And that is in itself really interesting. We don't have that in the UK, for example. We don't have that in London. And there's a question to be had there where you ask, okay, do you really want that? Because that limits your freedom. But at the same time, it does seem something that's very futuristic, that everything that you need as a human being is, in theory, five to 20 minutes within your distance. You have nature two minutes away. There are no such thing as cars. There is no carbon footprint. It is very utopian. It is very futuristic. And it's it's crazy that something like this is happening within our lifetime because I just did not expect that to happen. But there you go. Yeah, the line is a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to also assume that, yes, you say all of this, yeah, you may feel like you're trapped. You may feel like this. You may feel like that. Uh, you'll still have the option to just walk out. However, I think they have enough they're comfortable enough with this to a point where obviously this isn't going to pay off if people just move in and out. Like if it's not going to pay off for people to just come and visit it for a while and leave. They need both, don't they? Exactly. So I think they have enough confidence that, oh, it is good enough for people to come here and be like, oh, I actually want to stay here. And obviously, surely there, there are people like, as I said, even if I go there and I, I have like the best time of my life, why not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's just something that is so different to mm -hmm. the way that we live now. It is that novelty factor where you're just naturally drawn to it because you're like, wow, I never expected this to happen. So I do want to, I do want to go and visit it. My, and I have no doubt, like you said, that they have thought through all these different angles, but I don't know. There is something <laughs> to be said about living in a place where you can see the sky, where you can feel the trees, where you can feel the breeze and the natural breeze. And if you don't have that, mm. it does feel like it could be extremely isolating. And I feel like we are in a way we, we are connected to nature and with something like this, it sort of cuts that connection because it isolates you within these walls. It reminds me of an episode from Black Mirrors. Which one? I think I've I think Season I've got one. it in my head. Season one. It's where they I think one of them like perform something and they live in these like white looking cells that it's literally it's like an isolated place like that. No, you lost me now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it was from Black Mirrors. I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah there, it reminds me of There is one like that, like I think. I just can't remember the episode. There are so many. Well, this is definitely something to look look forward to. And as as we said, like it's going to be available for people to move in as early as 2025. And that is, to me, is crazy. Uh, if you're allowed to live, the, if you're able to live there before GTA 5 comes out, or that GTA 6 ridiculous. comes out, that is, yeah, that is ridiculous. Do you're they have... In real life. Do they have a timeline on when they plan to finish all construction? 2030. 2030. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to, I want to ask the pictures that I've seen on Neom's website, 
are those concept pictures or no. are some of them already pictures taken from construction? So I'm thinking about the wall itself, for example, has glass on the outside. It reflects the natural landscape. So is that a concept image or is that the actual some part of that they've actual already built? Part of the things they've already built. Wow. That's just crazy. Yeah. It's 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 madness, I'm telling you. It's something that see, well, um, I think it's the case where hear me out, right? It's actually not that crazy if you think about it. And why I say this is technology is so advanced that even something like this isn't actually that high when it comes to technology. Now with phone, with your with, with phones, with your laptops, with your TVs, with all the with cars, you'll get this yearly upgrades, you'll get this monthly upgrades where every year you'll see the latest version, every year you see it look better. So you actually don't necessarily get to experience the jump. Whereas if you were to look back at like iPhone, or not even iPhone, if you were to look back at Nokia phones, which were like for 20 years ago, and there were no phones out since then, and after 20 years, I'd give you the latest iPhone. You'd be like, wow, how? Do you know what I mean? Like, you'd be like, oh, this is so crazy. This is so advanced. Whereas in reality, it's just one step at a time. Now, with cities, you don't see a new city coming out every year. You don't see them upgrading cities yearly. Yes, you see that is this and that. That is why it's so surprising. I agree with you on in regards to it. It's not a big leap in terms of technology. I guess where I'm so surprised is it's a big risk because, like you just said, it's a whole city. And so... In that sense, it feels like that novelty project where I'm so surprised that someone has actually allocated the funding, the resources to actually create something like this. Because we're talking about housing 9 million people here. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And not just housing them, but sustainably housing them for the future. And so mm. that is where it's a surprise. But I think in sort of in in the spirit of what you were saying is we talk about, you know, technological advancements. Well, is this just not another one of those, but on a city scale, why can't cities improve? I guess that that is the question here. And that is what they're answering. They are improving and building a city for the future. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you heard a government say, Oh, we're building a new city. Like, what? Like, it especially just, soon as we're to go live tomorrow and be like, People, we're building a new city. It's going to be in between uh, Liverpool and Birmingham. And you'll be like, uh, huh? It's yeah. going to be a straight line, 200 kilometers long, 300 meters high. And you're going to be like, uh, huh? You get that? It sounds are, like are you an eyesore. For the role? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You see that for the, should you be our prime minister? But it's like, that's what I mean. When was the last time you heard someone say, let's build a city? Well, the Saudis are doing it. So... <laughs> Literally, someone had that conversation. Someone yeah. had that conversation. Guys, we're building a new city. Literally, imagine like in the design room, this guy walked in. Okay, what, what do you have in the table? I am building a new city. Okay, let's start. Well, 500 bro, you, billion. We were just thinking about making a, a competitor to the new iPhone, but you want to build a new city? Cool. Go for it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, uh, that's crazy. You know, it's... I'm going to say Saudi Arabia is having its 15 minutes of fame. Uh, 
because to see how quickly they've evolved. I mean, if you just even look at Dubai, like it was deserts twenty five years ago. It was nothing. That's there. true. That is true. Do you know what I mean? Like there was I genuinely guess... nothing there. I guess they probably use that as as an example, you know, when pitching this. Mm. It would be it would be the perfect example. They would say, look at where Dubai was a few decades ago and look where it is now. We're doing something very similar, but we're doing it on a more sustainable level. And that's that's how it gets greenlit, right? Because what is a big issue affecting our time at the moment? Well, that would be climate change. So you build a city with ideally zero carbon footprint, you know. 95 percent sustainable i believe um eyeballs are going to be drawn to that and people are going to go okay yeah that is something that we can buy into yeah i'm honestly really interested in this i w- when it's finished 2030 we're not even going to be that old we're not even going to be in our 30s yet that's crazy if, if it doesn't get delayed of course uh well let's hope gta 6 comes out by then two things well actually no i was going to say two things i forgot one already goldfish brain um but yeah i mean we're going to be in our 30s man that gives us plenty of time to move in there we still have a whole true. lifetime ahead of us that is true going in the... does it is it going to have an airport or i assume the airport's going to be away from it not yeah i mean it. i would assume that it would have multiple multiple airports along the way right because how mm-hmm. else are you going to get there you can get there by boat sure um but it's just not as efficient as air travel so yeah so you you reckon the airport would be inside the walls no 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 i don't think inside but i think outside i think along the wall you will have certain you know like entrance points for example yeah 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 for sure i mean there was one of the concept arts for example had um a massive like doorway and Mm. a bunch of yachts and it was because it was by a bit which connects to the red sea and so you know clearly they've already thought about that but this is just it is so massive uh, we can't really we can't cover it all in a podcast i i don't even think they were good at covering it all on their own website because it's it's a whole fucking city there are so many different elements to talk about um but it's fascinating nonetheless yeah like even like even going on like a city's website is crazy. Like, let me go on London's website. Yeah, like, where do you start? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's crazy. Like, what do you say? Like, this is the boroughs. This is the... What do you say? Like, it's crazy. Like, it doesn't end. It's a city. Obviously, it's not meant to end. It's not meant to ever finish, like, in terms of the cycle. Well, that's a great question. Like, are they going to have boroughs in there? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's going to yeah. happen? I, I guess time will tell with that one. I guess that's the only thing time will tell. But that being said, though, the the Saudi Arabian uh, Saudi Arabians they have unlimited money, unlimited. That is true, and they're investing it in what could turn out to be a really smart smart thing. So we do wish it all its success, and I think it's something that we will probably come back to quite a few times in the future. Mm-hmm. Perhaps we'll do a coffee hour tour. Wow, Coffee that's if we're crucial. still going in 2030. Of course, of course. Shall we move on to another infrastructure project? Let's quite small scale. And that is Pluspool in New York City. Mm-hmm. That's crazy as well, actually. Um, I was going to... I think the first thing I was going to open with was, was going to say, why the fuck is it shaped like a plus? But I did read into it 
-hmm. and there is a reason for this. Yeah. And that is because there are four different segments in the pool. So I believe there's like a sports area, a shallow end for kids, a leisure area, and like a lane area, you know, for people doing laps and lengths. So, Mm -hmm. but essentially what this is, is it's a pool shaped like a plus in the East River in New York. And its aim is to teach New Yorkers how to swim using the natural waterways that they have. And you can understand why that would be a aspirational goal because New York is a very densely populated mega city and doesn't really have, I would assume, a lot of access to swimming for its residents. And a lot of people perhaps do not know how to swim. And so this movement, the plus pool movement, have been asking for access to the natural waterways in order to allow New Yorkers to swim and learn how to swim freely. And it's taken a while. I think they began in 2010. Mm -hmm. But last year, they got $16 million in funding to allow for their first pilot to go ahead in the summer of 2024. And I think this is just a nice story to bring up. It's a cool thing. It does look a bit weird from the concept art because it is just a massive plus sign. Um, but I think it's a good cause. The more I read into it, I was like, okay, this is something that I think I agree with. I think I can get behind. Yeah, I mean, as you said, like this isn't going to be like, it's not as big of a project, obviously. It's nowhere near building a city. It's not the line, okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just the idea of, having all these small little details which would enhance the city which would actually level it up this isn't this is a prime example of that i think as you said there's a reason for the for it being shaped like a plus because i i also was confused as to why it's a plus but the reason as you said each site has its own purpose and it's meant to be for different people to use um but i could already imagine like the amount of uh, the amount of fun activities you could do in such a thing because you're enjoying the river obviously you're not swimming in the river but you are enjoying it you enjoy yeah. the view it's a new experience being in a swimming pool whilst you're in the middle of the river yeah that, that's new and it's just it's just a good concept do you know what i mean it's just a good way to get get people it's just new activities you know what i mean it's just more things you could advertise in your city well, I was trying to figure out how it would work. Does it, I feel like it would refilter the natural water from the river. But of course you've then, like I just said, you have the plus for a reason because you have different depths. And so how do you get this structure to float? What is it built out of, for example? And also do people pay to use it or is it free access? So those were things that I was thinking about. And then I thought, can you apply this to the river terms? And then I thought about the river terms. I was like, uh, probably not. I think that's a bit too dirty. And I think, yeah, we're probably not on the same level as New York, which I mean, just visually you look at like the, the East river in New York, it, it does look clearer than the Mm. Thames, which is just this natural murky Brown. Um, It's not appealing at all to swim in the Thames for me personally. I'm sure there are people who actually do it, but yeah, I was just thinking like, 
how does this thing actually work? And there is a lot of logistics, I think, behind it, a lot of science behind, you know, is it safe to swim in that in that water, for example, because of bacteria that lives in there? And how do you filter out that bacteria? So there is a lot that goes into it. Uh, yeah, I agree. Well, I don't think it's a case where it filters out the water from the river. Uh, I think it will be filled in advance. I think it will be filled beforehand. But if if it if the water from the river were to get in somehow, like whether it's through the drainage system, if there is a drainage system, or whether it's through just, I don't know. Well, it's not going to be a wave, but if it's like a storm or whatever, uh, rain, whatever, uh, there is definitely going to be a proper filtration system. Well, that is also another thing to consider is weather cycles. And New York City does get quite bad weather over exactly. certain periods. So, for example, is this a, a pilot scheme or a scheme that is only going to run over the summer? Because if you have, you know, a terrible storm, that, that's going to damage the pool itself. So I don't know if that information is released yet, but I think mm -hmm. on the whole, it's quite a nice thing. I like it. To be fair, the winter time there's a lot of other activities to do in New York City. Like I highly doubt anyone would go there for the line, but uh, not the line, sorry, for the swimming pool. But as you said, like, is it even something that would be available? Well, uh, you know, there during... there are a lot of people who do like cold water swimming, so I wouldn't. They put do it in Russia them. a lot. Yeah, they do it in Russia go. a lot. They do it uh, in the UK a lot. Well, actually, there's this once again referring back to MMA. Uh, there's a fighter called Jan Blachowicz who's Polish and uh, what he does is he goes out in basically his shorts only so pretty yeah. much naked he goes out to all the he lives in Poland obviously he goes out to all these like mountains which are frozen and still snowing like it's just freezing cold and yeah. he takes a shovel with him he digs a hole in these frozen rivers and then he just jumps in that's he dangerous and though walks back. yeah you could literally die from it I saw a video recently on Tik, no, on, I was going to say TikTok, on Instagram. <laughs> um, and this was with a team of people. They dug a hole in the ice and he must have been a some sort of professional or semi-professional cold water swimmer because he had mm -hmm. a team with him. Or he might have been an athlete, perhaps. He jumps in the water, he swims around, but then he can't find the hole. And you oh, can yeah. see him through the ice banging, trying to get up. And he's right next to the hole, but he just can't see it. And so you're telling me this guy is doing it on his own. Well, he doesn't actually go into some. He just sits in as in like it's like jacuzzi or something. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, that's a bit different then. It's kind of like an ice bath. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's... still though, think about how cold it is. Like there's ice bath and there's literally ice bath. Well... Speaking of ice baths, I saw a video of Joe Rogan in his. Uh, yeah. He uploaded it earlier today. I believe it was 20 Fahrenheit outside in Austin. And the ice bath itself was actually hotter. I think it was 35. <laughs> and anyway, yeah, I just I was enthralled by this video of him saying absolutely nothing and just sitting in an ice bath and just listening to him breathing. But <laughs> it's amazing. Isn't it's it? goals, though. It's goals. Yeah, to be fair, ice bath is it's pretty good it genuinely does help the last time i did it was before one of my fights it it does help a lot it's crazy though that he gets in the ice bath and it turns out the ice bath is warmer than the outside that 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 is true that's well, like a that's like a design fault you never envisioned that happening when you bought it 
Well, if it's 25 degrees outside, then it'll be like, what, like minus four Celsius if it's if it's 20 degrees outside. And if it's 30 degrees outside, then there'll be like zero. There'll be like minus one, which is freezing, man. That, that, that is. That stuff's cold. Well, that's similar to the temperature it's been over here, hasn't it? Exactly. But imagine being in high school water in this temperature. I know. And just, you know, keeping your composure like he was doing in that video when you're in there is just incredible. There wasn't really... He wasn't shivering. He wasn't going, fuck, fuck, fuck. He just got in and he mm. got on with it. Well, that's what it actually is. Like, the moment you get in, the first thing you're going to lose is how to breathe. You, you're going to forget how to breathe. And it's not a panic attack. It's just like you lose control of your breathing. Like, you can't control it. So it's very important to try to take deep breaths so you have yeah. somewhat of a control over, over it. Uh, and that's that's the hardest part because you, as you do that then it stops your body from shaking then it stops your mind from but that's not what your mind's telling you. your mind's telling you okay you should be fucking freezing to death right now shake yeah. like your life depends on it but that that's that is the hardest part but the moment you up i actually don't know if you've ever tried an actual proper ice bath the moment you get out it's the best feeling well is it because you i guess your muscles have been activated you feel so cold, but then you go out and then suddenly yeah. you feel really warm. Yeah, it's just... Do you know or what it numb? feels like? You feel numb. Yeah, exactly. You feel kind of numb, but you feel like... You you feel like you've lost 30 kilos of weight. It genuinely feels like that. You feel like your muscles are carrying so much less. Like that's Really? Like. Yeah, it just feels different. Because a lot of people, I ask them, have you tried an ice bath? They say, yes, I've been in the coldest water possible. But this is the difference between ice baths and cold water. It doesn't matter how cold the water is. Two minutes in, you're going to get used to it and it's going to feel warm. Yeah. But with ice bath, because you'll have the actual ice cube in it and they melt as you're in it, it keeps getting colder. So your body actually never gets used to it. It just that keeps sense, getting yeah. colder the longer you're in it. Yeah. Uh, so after two minutes it's the it's just a mental battle like it's just next level but the moment you get out it's the best feeling in the world well speaking of mental battles the australian open started yesterday mm -hmm. and i don't know if you've been following it or not no not not a lot because of obviously my exams and stuff which we talked earlier but tell me well you'll be pleased to know that emma Raducanu made her comeback this morning and she won her first game. So she's into round two already, which is very nice. Um, I assume you know who Emma Raducanu is. I hope you do. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Of, of course. course you do. On the flip side of things, unfortunately, Andy Murray got knocked out yesterday. Um, mm. I don't really know what to say there. You know, he's he's gone through so many injuries. It's incredible that he's even playing tennis. He is on the older side it might be his last Australian Open, which is a shame, but yeah, he did he did lose in straight sets. I don't really know. I don't really know where where Andy can go from here in terms of coming back to it next year. Maybe perhaps that that is a wake up call for him to say, okay, this might be my last year on tour because I'm not really getting deep into these tournaments like I used to do. And okay, you know, I'm a completely different player than who I was before all my injuries. But, you know, is it really worth it to go through all that just mm. to get knocked out in round one? So that's very disappointing. But, you know, at the end of the day, he's done so much for the sport that I think 
he can be proud of what he's achieved and you know i'm sure he's going to be at wimbledon this summer and he's going to be amazing so yeah yeah well he's still going to go down as one of the one of the best to ever do it with emma radicanu i'm really glad she got the victory i've been following her on instagram as in like i've been actually looking at the stuff she was posting over the last couple of weeks and months yeah and it really seemed like she's really putting in the work so she's doing three four sessions a day training and th that's what happens like the more effort you put in the more you're going to get i think with her it was the case of a lot of pressure on her because she was quite young earlier a bit earlier a few years ago 100 uh, percent. yeah but i think and it's just it, it's kind of from the fans as well pushing her to achieve more things like a bit earlier than she probably should have yeah well let's let's break it down right so she does mm -hmm. this incredible achievement at winning the us open as a wild card at 19. yeah but you need to bear in mind that she has never done a full year on tour she's now 21 and she still has never done a full year on tour and that is because <laughs> of injury problems and she's been learning how to manage them and so a lot of the discourse around emma this year has been and people have asked her you know what would be your biggest success and i think a lot of people who don't really follow tennis but know the name would probably go oh she needs to win another grand slam no 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 that is not the biggest success the biggest success for her this year would be getting through the whole tour without any major injuries because she's mm. never done it before right yeah she doesn't exactly. need to be winning these titles she doesn't even this year or next year need to be competing for these titles she needs to be you know getting three or four games deep in the major tournaments and not getting injured and that way you build up your game time because tennis is that sort of sport right when you're younger you do need a lot of that game time in order to mm. build up your fitness your mentality and how you deal with those injuries so yeah for her to get through that first round really good stuff and i don't know who her next fixture is but wishing her the best of luck with that as well so i think it's a good start to year for emma radicani yeah, I totally agree with that. As you said, with tennis, it's just a matter of getting that experience, getting that ground play hours. Um, with Andy Murray, on the other hand, once again, another case of him being on the receiving, uh, on the rare end of his career. Uh, injuries change you in any sports, no matter what type of sports you play. Um, when you prepare a certain way, and due to injuries, you can't prepare that way, then that's already one loss in your head you already have that element of i'm not prepared whether you want it or not it's just your brain is going to think that because your body's always used to running 10 miles every day for your match but then you have this case where you can't run all of a sudden so you do all these alternative things but it's so rooted in to run 10 miles a day which if you don't do that you feel like you're not prepared yeah um, obviously he's on the older side as well so it's understandable for him uh, the time away from your family, the sacrifice the sport takes, it's crazy. So I think he'll stick to more local matches for this year. I mean, I think he should. Uh, Wimbledon is a good example. I probably should should say the farewell. I think, yeah, I think we'll probably be seeing Andy Murray's farewell either this year or the next year. It's just he has, he at the top of his game was such a physical tennis player in terms of running everywhere sort of mm. how Djokovic is and when he had the injuries that he had it's just not sustainable for him to play that way and so if your success has always been being the guy running about the court 
hitting everything, hitting those magic shots, and you can't do it anymore, and you can't find a way to be successful, it's probably time to stop playing professionally. And whilst that's so sad to see, because he has been my favorite player to watch, I think he also recognizes that he is at that age. Um, He does have a young family, for example. And, you know, what is more important? At the same time, I also know that he's such a mentally strong character that he, if he feels like he has something to give, he's still going to do it, right? So it's, he's only going to retire when he feels like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And he's come close before. I think he had retired at one point after an injury and he came back. So yeah, in a way, it's an end of an era for British tennis. But, you know, at the same time, we do have Emma Raducanu in the women's side. We've also got Cameron Norrie on the men's side. So we've got some fantastic players coming through. One who's already won a Grand Slam, another who could win one in the future. We've got other players, Dan Evans, Katie Bolter, who are, you know, also very talented players who could win Grand Slams and tournaments in the future. So on one hand, you've got this golden age at an end, but the future is still exciting for British tennis. And so that's something to look forward to. I agree as well, because it's just a case of getting that time as we discussed. If you don't get any major injury, which would change the way you play, which unfortunately for Andy Murray, that was the case. Fair play, that was towards the end of his career anyway. It wasn't necessarily yeah. very early on. Uh, but like, if Emma Redekanu doesn't experience that, she has that bright future to look to, look forward to. Well, just like, just to end note on Andy Murray, you know, the guy has won two Olympic gold medals in the era of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic, and he's won three men's Grand Slam titles in the era of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic. So that's an amazing achievement. And mm-hmm. with him, his career is sort of like, you know, what if he didn't have these terrible injuries? How many more would he have won? We wouldn't be talking about three great players. We might have been talking about four great players. So I think he can mm-hmm. be extremely proud of what he has achieved. Just on the tennis as well, one more note. Do you know Naomi Osaka? I do not. She was uh, women's world number one for a few years. She's won a few Grand Slams. She's a Japanese player. And mm-hmm. she made her comeback the other day. She did go out in round one, but it's not really that negative because under a year ago, she was pregnant, right? So she's been oh, completely okay. out of the sport. Former world number one coming back. And supposedly she played some pretty good tennis. She's getting getting the feel for it again. It's sort of like Radicanu where she just needs to get game time in. So that's a, that's another exciting note out of the Australian Open. We've got it on for another two weeks, and I will be keeping you updated. That would be great. That would be incredible. So before we wrap up, why don't you tell me what you've been watching lately? So what I've been watching lately has been nothing but some YouTube videos on how to solve some engineering problems due to having two exams back to back. So I don't really get to watch a lot of stuff. That sounds fascinating. So fascinating (laughs) that I'm not even going to follow that up with a question. So I tell you what Uh, I've been watching lately. Yes, tell me. Well, actually, I'll tell you what I've been watching lately and what I've been playing lately. Um, So what I've been watching, Mm -hmm. me and my partner saw Whiplash on the weekend, a film I've seen quite a few times with Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons. It's about uh, an ambitious young drummer who goes to Schaefer, this music school in the US, this music college, and he pursues perfection. 
it's an incredible film. It's so intense. It's got one of the best villain performances. Although I wouldn't even describe him as a villain um, by J.K. Simmons. Just the intensity of it. And if you haven't seen Whiplash, if anyone listening hasn't seen Whiplash, I highly recommend it. I just, based on what you described, I can't just, I can't imagine J.K. Simmons as uh, as a villain. <laughs> I just can't picture it. I just, I just look at him as that newspaper guy. Well, not newspaper. That uh, yeah, it was news. Yeah, on Spider Man. That I just can't see him as a villain in any way, shape, or form. J.K. Simmons was so good in Whiplash that he won an Oscar for it. Oh, did he? Yep. So he's actually playing a negative character. He well, this is why I say, is he a negative character? Um, you leave the film asking yourself, was J.K. Simmons' character right or was he wrong? Mm. How far do you go in the pursuit of perfectionism? And that is pretty much what the film is about. And it's just, it's so gripping. Um, It is one of my favorite acting performances of the last decade. He's just so good in it. I see what you mean. So it's it's one of them. I, I I get exactly what you mean. Well, I will probably watch it at some point. Uh, but. Yeah, it's just I because I really do want to see J.K. Simmons as as a villain. But then again, you said, is he really? If a you villain? if you like J.K. Simmons, you're going to like oh, him even legend. more after this. This is all I will say. And yeah, so he like is him. a legend. And I also said I was playing something, and that is I brought this up on the podcast a few weeks ago. I am playing The Last of Us Part One, and I have almost finished it. I'm probably over three quarters of the way through, and the game is incredible. Um, the series was incredible and yeah all i have to say is the game is incredible too and i might have to get last of us part two remastered which is coming out i believe it's coming out this week actually oh my it is that good is it is it going to be a 60 pound game the last of us part two is releasing launching sorry at 42 pounds i believe so no oh that's pretty good yeah that's actually not too bad so you you're considering it i'm considering it but i'm also i'm the type of guy i go back and try and complete everything on single player games and i've still got quite Mm -hmm. a few games where i haven't completed everything like i've done the main story but there might be like more side quests and stuff so i might go back and play them but you know this you know this with me it comes and goes in terms of like my spells of where i want to play video games so I might be playing, you know, let's say I go back and play Far Cry 6 for a month and then I might stop playing video games for the next six months. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm in that I'm in that mode at the moment where I do want to play things. Uh, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Well, keep me updated when you finish it and what you think of it. I will. And I have one more thing to ask because you said at the end of last episode you were going to watch episode one of The Traitors. Did you do it? Yes. You did? Thanks for bringing that up, actually. I watched episode one of season one, and I just realized halfway through that I should be watching season two. So I stopped that. I went and got season two. Uh, The woman's the host. I loved it, but I only watched like 10, 15 minutes of it. Then I had to go. Then I forgot to get back to it. But Uh, I did watch half of season one. But you enjoyed it. It was great. Yeah, it's really, really good. It gets even better. You don't even understand yet. You only watched 10 or 15 minutes of episode one, season two. Because I felt scammed. I felt like I was watching season two, but then halfway through, I realized it's actually season one. So it's meant to be a woman who's a host. Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you remember what happened in those first 15 minutes or not really? It was basically just an introduction. So it was just a group of people coming in. I love the entrance to the castle, by the way. That was insane. Is that uh, castle not beautiful? It, it's lovely. Does someone actually live there? As far as I'm aware, um, you can rent that place out for events. So, yeah, it, it's just uh, it's a rental, basically. That's mad. Could you imagine living there? Well, that's madness. Someone used to. It's crazy, even though I don't like it, but it's still madness. So I guess what I need from you then is a commitment to finish episode one. Can we see this happening? Yes, of course. Of course. No, I actually really liked it. I'm going to actually not only finish episode one, but actually continue watching the show and ideally finish that. Well, that's a perfect way to end then. Absolutely. All right. Should we wrap this up? Let's do this. I have been your host, William Code. I'm your host, Arshia. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour. See you in the next episode. Take care. Take care.